This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, and welcome to The Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio. It is Monday the 14th of March, and on this evening's show, we are talking teacher strikes. Why and how do teachers in the UK go on strike? Is striking, certainly on a national level, a thing of the past? I've got special guest, Jelma Evans, and I've also got Damien McNulty joining me live tonight. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to The Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio. It's wonderful that you have chosen to spend a little bit of time with us this evening. If you're listening back to this as a podcast, then also welcome to you. Uh, This evening's show uh, is all about teachers on strike. It was inspired by a story at the moment of a school which is on a 15-day strike near Newcastle, where the, uh, the teachers who belong to the NAS UWT union have decided to stage a walkout uh, based around uh, the behaviour in the school. Um, they've tied that into workload and they've, they've kind of put it under the umbrella of management practices. And that school community has decided to, I say the school community, the, the NAS members have decided to, to walk out to actually leave uh, the school on strike. Uh, now, that is a local strike in one school, but it inspired me to ask the question on Twitter have you ever been on strike? And I got about 400 replies. This was a very highly charged conversation. I didn't expect the level of engagement there was in this topic, but people quite exercised. Um, There were, most people said they had been on strike. So the vast majority of people who replied said, yes, I've been on strike. Some, many actually had been on strike more than once. there were those who said, definitely not. No, I've, I've never been on strike. And there were also those who went further and said that they never would go on strike. Um, for example, Gavin Lee, at science tweeter underscore on Twitter, said no and double no for any recent, current or future strikes. The kids have had enough disruption to their learning as it is. And, and that comment had about 20 likes. There were about 20 people who seemingly agreed with that statement. There were many who who disagreed with it, but there were 20 people who agreed. And I think one of the, the key factors there that was mentioned by other commentators on the thread was about COVID and the impact of COVID on the students. And, and their argument is that by striking, it's causing further disruption after two years of disruption to the student's education. There were, however, many who replied to tweets like Gavin's on the opposite side of the fence. So we had, for example, Wendy, who is a head teacher in the United Kingdom, who replied, yes, and as head teacher, I closed the school rather than the individual classes of the striking staff members. We have to support the unions. So it just shows you there is uh, still a, uh, a a will, uh, even at leadership levels in education, to to pull the trigger on strike action. And of course, many are saying this is a, a last resort. Also, Sarah uh, at Life at the Nest, 
if you want to find her on Twitter, said, I see less and less membership of unions in young staff. They don't want to pay the dues or they they say they don't agree with it yet in the, in the next breath. Their PPA, which is free time in the, in the teaching day, is sacrosanct and they want schools to reflect equality for LGBT+. We fought for that with industrial action and negotiations. The point she is making there very clearly is that many of the gains that teachers have experienced have come about because of strike action. Um, and it's interesting to consider these different points of view. I mean, my personal opinion is that strike action should be on the table. Of course, it should not necessarily be an aim. <laughs> when you, you know, when you spend a, your first week in a school, oh, I don't like this school. I know I'll go on strike. I mean, it's not about that, is it? It's a, it's for no professional. I very much doubt striking would be what they what they deem themselves to be doing when they start out in their working lives. But ultimately, there is that element of um, there is that element of of the moral dilemma of walking out. Or staying in. And of course, there is pressure on people to strike and to not strike all the way through too. So it's difficult to to make that choice. But my personal view is as a bat stop, it's it's almost like a necessary deterrent, if you like, to have. And localized strikes, as we're going to hear later on in the show, have had a significant positive impact short-term localized strikes. I'm not sure if national strikes have, um, but we'll talk about that too. I've got two guests this evening for you on TTR. And welcome to everybody who is joining us live, people like Gemma, for example. Good evening to you, Gemma. Um, but we, 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 we've got two guests this evening to discuss striking and teacher striking. Um, and both of them are coming at things from quite a different perspective. I've got Yelma Evers, who I believe is based in Holland, uh, who's going to speak to me in a moment. And then later on in the show, in the second half, after the news, I've got Damien McNulty, who is an executive member of the NASUWT Teaching Union. Um, so actually, those two are going to give us a, a really unique insight. And I'll let uh, Yelma introduce himself now. Uh, Yelma, are you with us? Uh, yes, I am, and I hope I <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm experimenting with a microphone on my iPad, so I'm, I hope uh, you can hear me. Oh, goodness me. Well, it sounds okay. Um, you might want to uh, go as close as you can to the microphone on there, if you can, um, yeah. just so we can hear you as loud as we possibly can. Um, so it, do you want to just introduce yourself, first of all, to, to everybody and tell us um, how we've ended up talking to you on, on Teachers Talk Radio? Well, <laughs> the, like the immediate... It's, um... Uh, why I'm here? So I think I replied to your tweet. And you I did. Question. Um, so I'm a, I'm a history teacher. Uh, I've been in the classroom for 19 years. Um, I've written a couple of books, also on, on teacher professional autonomy and, and it's called the alternative. And there's an uh, international version, flip the system, and there are several flip the system books uh, from colleagues all over the world. And, yeah. Um, I think it was around uh, yeah two and a half years ago. Uh, people asked me to. Uh, um, to stand for election uh, for my union, for the executive, um, which is a full-time position, and uh, for I'm now um, uh, doing all these sort of like collective bargaining and, and teacher policy policy for uh, secondary uh, education, and it's for the Algemene uh, Onderwijsbond. It's in Dutch, 
it's a general education union, which is the biggest union in uh, in the Netherlands. Um, and so sort of my, my area is um, um, uh, secondary education and well, all, all the professional issues. Yeah. So do you want to tell us a, a, maybe a little bit about your typical day in your role? You know, what kind of things are you actually doing in, in, in the sense of, you know, the meetings you're having and the logistics of that role within your union in Holland? Yeah, well, that's a good question. So um, a, a, it's maybe a bit atypical because I started out uh, in um, August of 2009. And uh, so and the role was already a strike coming up. Uh, so there was a lot of on, on preparation for that. Um, now, so, so there's two things. One is more or less like focused on um, all, the, all the sort of like, like bread and butter issues on, on uh, pay, workloads. And then we have a sort of like a collective bargaining agreement and collective bargaining with the employers organization and the government. Um, and then, and but then it is also quite decentralized. So there's also a lot of regions and we have local bargaining going on there as well. Um, so a lot of that is also um, uh, yeah, coordinating all those uh, national and local conversations. But also on curriculum, um, on um, uh, qualifications, teacher qualifications, all those kind of things. Um, uh, also reforming the union. So we have, well, I think we went from a, it's a global conversation. Maybe we can touch upon it as well. Um, was organizing the base again. So we went from sort of like a, um, uh, well, the teacher, the union would take care of you instead of sort of like being into like a collective organization, uh, sort of like a really 90s and zeros kind of idea of, of unions, um, which I don't think, think was the right direction. Um, <clears throat> so also going in a, in, a, in a new, maybe what some people would call more old fashioned, but, but I think is a necessary or modern direction of organizing, okay. which, up, which takes up a lot of energy and time as well. And then I, I was visiting a lot of schools and colleagues, uh, but then in the early 2020, like the COVID pandemic started and that, that took about, about like half, maybe more, a few quarters of my time just organizing that and, and all the all the um, coordinating that and, and talking with the government and having safety uh, protocols in place, etc. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah. So it's, it's strange going from a teacher role to um, um, so it was like usually did it part time, like half, like two, three days teaching for the last five years, I think, um, because of all the writing and also policy work. But now, like for the first time in two years that I'm, I'm, I'm not in the actually in the classroom and that's a bit strange yeah i can imagine i was going to ask you actually i mean obviously you're a history teacher out there in in holland um what's what because you you must be aware from uh, from being involved with with uk educators on on twitter for example of some of the challenges and some of the problems within the within the uk education system particularly around recruitment and retention of teachers um is that reflected in Holland? I mean, what are the kind of what's the kind of morale like in the Dutch education system for teachers? What's it like over there? Um, it really depends. So uh, one of the strange things in, in our system is that we have really, really high performing schools, uh, but also uh, schools where things aren't going well. And there's, there's too much of that as well. And we have a huge teacher crisis, especially in primary education, but also in secondary education. And it's a, it's a bit more um, less visible in in, uh, in uh, secondary education because some you need to close classes in schools in the in primary education, 
that's not really the case in, in secondary. You can still keep things going more. Uh, but in both sectors, there's a there's a huge teacher shortage, and that has to do with pay, workload, professional autonomy. And I think those things are going on in almost every education system at the moment for the last 10 years. Um, so it's similar. I think I think in the UK, it's a little bit worse than, than on our end. Um, and there, I think the teacher uh, turnover is higher. Um, so we have more older colleagues staying in, but it's still there's a huge turnover in, in on on our side as well. And um, if I look at the numbers, it's shocking what we're what we're still going to face in in a couple of years time on on teacher shortage. So I think it's it's quite similar. And I, I'm following the UK quite closely and, and colleagues there. And um, I, I think we have the same challenges. Yeah, I mean, have you? I presumably due to you know various different reasons. Um, Holland is going to face the same kind of teacher shortage in terms of the numbers of students there are as Britain probably will and other countries in Europe. Yeah, I think it's pretty similar. I mean, um, if, if you look at sort of like the birth rate, et cetera, it's, it's, not, it's not as bad as sort of like in some Eastern Europe or Southern Europe, European countries. I think that's quite similar. Um, but again, um, especially in primary education, we, we're looking at really, really shocking numbers and that's having a huge impact, especially on more poor areas. It's really hard to find teachers in some uh, some cities and some some, yeah. some areas there. Um, so it's very it's 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 inequality was also uh, an access to quality education was already a big problem for at least 10, 15 years. Yeah. But at the rate it's it's accelerated so so quickly. Um, that's still shocking to someone. I th- I still consider the Netherlands to be in, and that's sort of like my the way I grew up a really egalitarian country, but it isn't anymore, and it's quite shocking. Yeah. How do teachers get into teaching in Holland? Is it exactly the same as it is in the UK? Do they do a three year degree plus one year teacher training or do they do they I mean, do they have to have a master's? I mean, what's the kind of route in? Yeah, there's several. Actually, there are, we, 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 that's one of the big, big things we're but actually there are 384 routes into education. Oh, my God. Uh, well, I mean, and of course, there's there's like there are like main routes, but then there's all these sort of different sort of like exemptions uh, in there which which we need to streamline as well but no there's uh you can for, for example go in primary education you can do a get a teacher degree for for four years um and then you're ed- eligible to uh do uh, from years four to twelve um for secondary education there's a also a teaching teaching degree um for for four years uh, but then you're not allowed to teach at the upper exam levels for the sort of like pre pre-university and then there's a master's degree i did my history degree first and in international relations and then did my teaching degree for one year um and and then you're eligible to uh, teach the uh, pre-exam or pre-university exam classes um and then you know there's, there's different specializations also for vocational education i think our vocational uh, sector is is extremely is re- really strong in the Netherlands. Um, yeah, and well developed. Uh, so yeah, so there's also specializations going uh, going into that as well. Um, yeah, so for... those are the main routes. But within though, there are so many di- different routes and exemptions, and and people um, uh, want to go into teaching after like another career. So there's the it's actually getting a it's, a little, it's getting a little bit Byzantine. So we're <laughs> we're trying to streamline that uh, streamline that as well. Yeah, got you. Well, just in case anyone's joining, uh, this is Teachers Talk Radio and, and we're talking about teachers on strike. Uh, we're going to be talking about and we're going to be getting into that in a minute uh, in terms of uh, striking and in terms of the processes that teachers go on 
to try and make changes to themselves in the workplace. Um, and we'll be getting Yelma's views on that. And, and also Damien, who is joining us. Uh, uh, well, he's not joining us because it's a recorded interview, but I'll be playing his interview in about half an hour's time. Um, now, Yelma, let's get into this a little bit here. Obviously, you work for a union in Holland, uh, as you've already said, you're a, you're a history teacher. Um, and your job presumably is to represent your your members in your in your union and you mentioned it was a very big union in Holland i wonder just to start with what is your general view on strike action yeah i think i think it's it's a normal thing to do uh it's one of those things that you have to keep in your back pockets in in it's it's not a goal in itself like you said but it's something that's part of the negotiation uh, negotiation uh, process um and withholding your work is one of the things that workers can do and um so for me that's sort of like the end stage if 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 if, if nothing's working uh and i think in a lot of ways it isn't uh, then you need really need to uh, uh increase the pressure or um, get the message across uh, and then striking is one of the things you can do and there, there are also a lot of sort of like in between actions and and, and, and what we call white strikes it's like doing don't do certain administrative tasks, etc. But you know, taking collective action is is a very normal thing to do. I don't, I wouldn't know any other way. So what are, what are sort of like pressure points would be in in a negotiation? You need to have those kind of things, and sort of like withholding our collective work is is like a, a very powerful. But you need to be very careful with it. But it's it's a normal thing to to do. I think. Yeah. It- Absolutely. Um, now, I was wondering if I could ask you within your context, obviously, you're, you're in another country, but what, what experience have you seen of teachers going on strike and being successful in the sense that they've gone on a strike, they've taken strike action, and things have changed in a positive sense for them? Have you got any examples of that happening? Yeah, so so a really good one from from in the Netherlands is like uh, from two thousand seventeen onwards, there, there there was a there there was a big gap between uh, se- uh, teacher pay and, and primary uh, secondary uh, teachers, which which was completely unfair, and so uh, sort of like a, this this uh, action group, a Facebook group, and, and on social media, teachers started organizing with, outside of the union, um, and it was very successful. And they were working towards strikes, and um, probably I think the unions were a bit like uh, didn't really expect it that that uh, they would get sort of like the traction that they did. Um, but it's also I think one of this uh, what the, the teachers were dysfunctional of the unions were dysfunctional as well. I think so. But my own union embraced it quite quickly. I think, and um, so there were a series of strikes from 2017 onwards, and the last one was. Um, in 2020, two-day strikes, so, and I've, I've joined several, also for, from uh, from a secondary education perspective, so like on workload. So we, we were, there was this whole issue on, 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 on different sectors, and from the primary one, it's more, more salary, and from the secondary education, it was more um, on, on workloads. And um, so it was sort of like it needed like a one billion investment to close that gap. And um, uh, well, we're not there yet. I mean, we're, we're right in the middle of almost I think we almost have an agreement on this, but uh, the, the the gap has been closed. Uh, so this was, there's a one billion investment from the uh, former governments at the end, like, uh, like a couple of months ago, and then a new government uh, 
uh, promised to close it, and um, and it's, it's a lot of money, and it's one of it's it's like one of the main goals that we have, and it's actually quite successful. I mean, there were a lot of strikes, uh, a lot of action, a lot of demonstrations, uh, a lot of lobbying, etc. And and uh, but it, it really caught fire, and also like the, the whole teacher shortage is, is 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 one of the main things on on the policy agenda in the Netherlands, and there was no way we could have achieved that without uh, going on strike. Uh, so that's a that's a very very uh, good example, I think, of, of uh, um, taking your responsibility for your profession because uh, if we don't, if it's one of these things that we need to do. Uh, closing the teacher pay gap and having a good salary uh, to make the profession attractive and then every student can have a proper education um, and the, the the turnout was phenomenal uh, from all of our colleagues and um, and it was sort of like sometimes one day strikes and sometimes two day or like there was some sort of like a marathon all across the country uh, localized strikes it was sort of like a whole different range of actions that we did but it took like four years and uh, in the end it was successful okay in terms of the the and this is probably a question really across the board but what what risks and sacrifices do teachers make who decide to go on strike well and again that that has to do with the with with how how, how schools are being managed and i mean um a, a, a lot of schools have good management it's good school leadership and they support it a lot of a lot of school leaders are also part of their own uh, union or or they also have a school leaders union um, but again, like uh, too many schools are not managed well, and it's what we call, I don't know what the proper English word for it, but it's like a sort of like a fear culture, uh, top yeah. down and it's being, uh, and you're being, dis- you're really discouraged from not joining a union or not going on a strike. And on those schools, people really, uh, so if you're one of the agitators or one of the, the, mm. the colleagues calling for a strike, you're really putting yourself, your career at risk or, you know, and your schedule can change and, and, or you, you know. Therefore, I've got all these sorts of, sort of tiny little things, and I've seen it happen a lot in the Netherlands, uh, where how they can sort of like discourage you from doing it. But then in, in the end, there was a lot of solidarity. I think a lot of people took risks, even in schools where, um, well, where, where the school management wasn't supportive of it. But again, there were a lot of schools uh, supportive as well. Um, I mean, as, as individuals and also as a profession, we're quite well protected by law. Um, so we don't have any you know, those strict uh, anti-strike laws that, that you have in the UK. Uh, so for us, it's more easy to go on strike, I think. Yeah. I mean, that is something that Damien's going to touch on when I speak to him in a bit, is is he he talks about um, the, the kind of movement in the UK to legally make it much more difficult for teachers to, to take strike action, uh, yeah. Particularly, yeah. particularly on a national level. And I think COVID the pandemic will probably cement that in many ministers minds because they'll be thinking well you know if we've if we've uh, had to go into these lockdowns we we don't want anything like that to happen again um so they're just going to they're just going to uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if that that avenue is explored much more to to put even more restrictions in place um now interestingly enough there there are those who who say and I I mentioned um Gavin's tweet earlier at science tweeter underscore and he's he said I would never ever go on a strike I I haven't been on any recently and I wouldn't go on in on one in the future and the reason he gives is that the kids have had enough disruption to their learning now is that you mentioned this kind of long period in Holland of, of strike action which eventually did give the teachers what they what they wanted and needed but what were the costs? I mean, do, do, do you think it's a, 
do you understand what Gavin is saying there, or do yeah. you think that's a a more uh, short sighted attitude? I mean, what... well, uh, no, no, you know, I, 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 I respect everybody's opinion, of, and I understand where my colleagues who have that opinion come from. But on the other side, there there has been so much disruption for students, whilst they're not having a, a teacher or, or an unqualified teacher, and it's getting worse. And you know, and it's it's in the well-off areas that we don't have those problems. And my question would be like the other, like to turn that around. So what about all the disruption and that's increasing for so many children, and and nobody's taking responsibility for it. And if we don't take responsibility, who will? Uh, as a profession you know and for me that's also in the collective it's it's not it's not about teacher pay per se it's not about workload i mean and it's never going to be perfect but um for the way i look at it in the netherlands it's unsustainable in the long run and i, I think it's unsustainable for society uh, that increasing inequality and um I've, I've what i've experienced is um so if you if you don't take that collective action then nothing will change as you need to convince people and there's a lot more to striking than just going on strike i mean there's there's leading up to it and convincing parents and and building alliances etc and, and changing the, the narrative in society that's all well that's it. funnily enough you know that's what i wanted to ask you next is the the kind of processes that that teachers go through towards strike action and also to to maybe discuss the difficult situations that teachers can find themselves in in schools and in Holland, what options they have and just in a general sense, what advice you would give. I'm going to ask you that in about two minutes, if that's okay. We're just going to listen to these messages by our wonderful sponsors and then we'll be back in about two minutes time. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Colin's Big Cat. To find out more, Follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure that Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. 
That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Well, welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio. Um, just a quick mention there for, for a couple of those uh, wonderful uh, organisations that, that sponsor Teachers Talk Radio. With the Slack Group, um, they, they specialise in, in specialist education. So if you're a, a teacher who is interested in working uh, with wonderful students in unique environments, uh, and actually I was discussing with one of their teachers the other week about teaching in a double-decker bus, uh, which sounded rather exciting, uh, teaching media in double-decker bus, then you need to go over to the Witherslack website and you need to look at their careers page and see what's available for you, particularly if you're a teacher who is looking for a change of scene. I think that the specialist education sector uh, in general is one that, that sometimes gets overlooked within the recruitment market. So if you're having, if you want to do, have a look at something different and they have fantastic terms and conditions and excellent uh, kind of working culture there. I've spoken to many of the people uh, within with the Slack about how things go and what, what happens there. It sounds fantastic. So do check them out. And the other one there that was mentioned was Bulb. Uh, you can get a free account for Bulb. It is a digital portfolio tool. So if you're looking for somewhere to store your stuff, uh, particularly the things that you've done or achieved, then go over to Bulb, uh, bulbapp.com, sign up for Bulb, get a free account uh, and and check out what it what 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 they offer because it's fantastic in terms of being able to showcase the things that you do as a professional in again quite a quite a unique way and also it's free so uh, if you have a chance to check that out then do so currently i'm chatting to yelma who is still here hopefully uh, uh yelma are you still with us yeah i'm still here you're very patient yelma while i waffle on just waiting for me thank you that's very dutch of you uh, it's very nice um now I was going to ask you next about the process in Holland that teachers go through uh, to 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 like if you're a teacher in a school who's not happy with the way things are in your particular school, then what process do they go through in Holland with regards to the union? What can they do? Well, so so there there by law there are several we have started several instruments um, uh, in place. Um, and there is a um, we have quite a strong uh, um, law we call it medezeggenschap, which is sort of like uh, where where the, the education personnel teachers have sort of like their own spot at the table on decision making, and and some sort of like is advisory, and some of it they have to sort of like consent, or they can have uh, have their own proposals, and that's sort of like on a on a school level, but also on a, what we call boards, it's sort of like a group of schools. Um, uh, so that, that's quite strong. And the other instrument that we have is sort of like our professional statute. Um, and, and, and that's sort of like, and the, the other one is more about sort of like workload issues and deciding uh, the schedule, those kind of things, uh, which is sort of like from a, we have an international bargaining agreement. Uh, and the other one is our professional stat statutes, uh, which we can decide upon ourselves in sort of like a teacher senate. Um, and, and that's sort of like on, on the direction of um, pedagogy, didactics, curriculum, all those kind of stuff. So on, on, on paper, uh, I, I think we have, a quite, we have quite a strong position and you can tackle a lot of issues there. 
But on the other hand, uh, we also went through uh, uh, huge cuts, um, um, sort of like a really change in, 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 in school policy in the last 30 years. And some people would call it neoliberal, uh, like, like market incentives, uh, new public management. Uh, so less from, from the continental model and more so towards more like an Anglo-Saxon model mm -hmm. of management. Um, oh, which is quite disruptive. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then um, um, if there are sort of like national issues on workload, on pay, then we go through. Um, well, we as a group of unions go through like a process of so can we have an agreement or not, and if we don't, then we go into a formal uh, strike process, and then we have to sort of say, okay, we're gonna uh, we're not gonna have the collective agreement anymore. Uh, so now we're in a conflict with our uh, with the employers' organization, and then we. And we have to sort of like apply for a formal strike, which we have the right to do, and all members can 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 then apply for a strike fund, and then we you know we pick dates and we escalate, and 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 there's a lot of local organizing going on. So we we are organized on a regional level, and we have local reps. Uh, so and and then we sort of like try to convince our colleagues that we um, uh, so we need to take strike action. The, the, the you mentioned that the strike fund. What's what's that? Well, so we're, I, I think, I think we're the only one that still has it, but we, we have a, a quite a big strike funds, uh, just to, it's, and it won't cover all of your pay, but it does cover quite a decent amount of it. So if you go on, uh, if, if we go on a strike for a particular sector, then members of that sector can have a sort of like per day, uh, can have a certain amount of uh, money. And, um, if necessary, we can also um, uh, apply for the general strike from for our for federation. But we, as a as, as a um, like education union, we have a quite a big strike fund, and, and that that's also why we are more uh, <laughs> generous, sort of like we are more willing. Our members in our union are more willing to strike than the other unions are. Yeah, I was going to say, and and interestingly, in the UK, we we do have obviously different teacher unions. Um, what what's the situation there in Holland? I mean, how how big is your union in comparison to others, and how many unions are there? And you know, how does that work with with kind of moving towards strike action? Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, we we have about uh, eighty two thousand members, uh, and I think around forty six thousand in primary. I think it's about twenty four in in secondary education, and then we also have like vocational, and then we have also in the polytechnics and also in universities. Like the rest of the members, but the, the, the primary and secondary are the biggest. And we are the biggest by far. And then we also have sort of like a federation of subject organizations, but they, yeah, well, they're, you know, they're not really uh, the, 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 the normal union issues and no strike fund and they're not locally organized. So that makes them, I think, less well prepared for these particular uh, kinds of uh, things that you need to also do as a, as a union. And from an historical perspective, um, our society was really organized along different ideologies or like a Protestant background, a Catholic background, uh, liberal, conservative, socialist. And that really, you know, we had newspapers on this, but also unions were organized on this as well. So there was always a big division amongst uh, teacher organizations. And there were there were quite a few um, uh, mergers in the in the last like thirty years as well, and, and one our my union is one of those uh, that has several like merged into in the, in, the, in a larger one. And I think there will be, I think we'll, we'll probably move to more consolidation because I think there's an awareness that we need to organize better. And if you if you look at sort of like the, the, the organizational level or the, the, how many teachers are organized, 
I think we're moving towards like 40, 50%, but internationally yeah. that's quite low actually. So, well, I was going to say, I was going to ask you actually about the voting system for strike action. In, in Britain, there's a certain percentage. I'm going to hear from Damien at NASEWT imminently, who's going to be talking about this. But in, in Britain, every union who wishes its members to, I say wishes its members to go on strike, but any members who want to go on strike, they have to have a vote through the union and they have to hit a certain percentage threshold for that to be legally valid. Um, so, for example, I think in NAS, it's like 40% or more, maybe 50% or more. It's one of the two. So 50% or more of the members within that school have to vote yes to strike action for it to have a chance of taking place. And then there's all these other things like, for example, uh, postal ballots. You know, the government have stopped electronic um, voting on strike. So, you, you know, in Britain, that everything has to be done by post to try and make it a bit more difficult and so on. I mean, what kind of restrictions are there from a union and governmental perspective in Holland in terms of strike action? I mean, is it easier to, you, you mentioned it was easier yeah, to go on strike. It's definitely way more easy. I mean, if you want to go on strike and as, as we as an organization, and so we have our own internal inter, internal procedures for it. And you only, you really need to do it if you know that people will turn out or else it will be turned against you also, also in, 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 the, in the bargaining that you do. So it's something that you need to be really careful with anyway. Uh, and, and that's why I think those, those, those kind of laws are actually rubbish. Uh, and they, and they, they, they weaken the resolve, I think, as well for, for striking. So, before, so for us, um, uh, that's up to our own organizations if you want to do that. And, um, uh, but again, we, we are really careful with that. Uh, so but when you, say, when you say organizations, w- within an organization, presumably a number of p- teachers in that organization have to say, I want to strike. So I, I suppose I'm asking... What uh, if if what two teachers in a school say I want to go on strike? Uh, can they do that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but then maybe the next school, uh, like hundred percent, will turn out, and that's the way things are organized. So we we uh, so you can have uh, localized action. Yeah. Uh, and then it's up to for like you know if four teachers are are part of our union, then they and and we call the strike. We can go on strike. I mean, we, if we say we have a conflict. And we can. Uh, and there, oh yeah, I mean, I'm I'm talking more at a local level, so I'm talking at an individual school level. Yeah, the, if yeah, I'm a teacher in a school and I'm in your union, and there's three of us out of I don't know, fifteen in that school, twenty in that school, we're in the union. We want to go on strike. Can we? Yeah, yeah, the Netherlands you can. So that's different, and uh, and it's it's I, I know that's and but it's it's it might be also. Um, because it's so easy, there's a less of a sort of like need to organize. And, and I, I know like one of the things that really changed my view on all these kind of things is what happened in Chicago. The, it's even worse there. You need to have like a, the threshold of 75%. And the Republicans thought they would n- never reach that threshold again. So like they were really sort of like needed the whole the, the union. But then the you know teachers started organizing. In four years' time, they went from like a really disorganized and, and demoralized profession to like a hundred percent turnout uh, on the strike ballot and that's huge um and for me like the following that whole process was like okay that's how you organize that how you convince your teachers this is the strategy that you need to follow so I, and that gave a lot of teachers around the world actually a lot of hope so that was like the kickstarting a lot of union reform uh, all across the world uh, so you know those thresholds shouldn't hold you back um i know it's more difficult but it, it's still possible to do it and there's quite a few examples actually 
and especially in the last 10 years that has given me hope that we can do a lot more than we we did before that in terms of the the main challenge and i'm i i mean in global education now but also in holland i mean you can you can approach both if you want what do you think are going to be the key challenges in the next 5 to 10 years for i mean you must listen to lots of your members telling you what the issues are so what do you what do you think are the kind of upcoming issues for teaching professionals both in holland but also in europe and the world well i think i think a lot of it has to do with like your collective autonomy in schools and 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 doing your work well um and and i mean i'm, I'm very proud of of my, of my profession and I, I really enjoy teaching but i i've, I've been I've, I've thought about quitting so often uh too many times i think and um you know that there was always this disbalance between the, the the phenomenal work that we do and 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 the creative work that we do and sort of also then the surrounding uh, supportive issues you know you you need you need like the class sizes and those kind of stuff and um i think those kind of things and 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 the increasing um moving from public to more more private and sort of like this in between kind of systems and both the UK and the Netherlands are quite good examples of where of that state and moving towards more more private and more privatization um and finally we're seeing a, a bigger dis- discussion i don't know how, to, how it is in the, in the uk I, I can't really tell but at least in the netherlands and also some nordic countries uh, also sweden uh, there's a really profound discussion that we need to move back towards more the public aspect of public education and and um, and the profession uh, on, on these kind of issues so the, for me those are really big issues and the UNESCO published a really um, good report on this, where they called for a new social contract on education, uh, and that, those are the th- big things. And you know, salary is just is, is one of those things that just needs to be there. But you know, in the end, it's not about. And also, the big teacher strikes, and then we're not about salaries per se, but it was sort of like pride and uh, taking pride of your in your profession, and and uh, people not feeling that they were taking being taken seriously. You know, those were the underlying issues, and I think we need to sort of like delve into that and 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 um, and talk about those kind of issues. And I think what really changed was moving from the discourse from those bread and butter issues that were there, but more from so what what do we stand for as a profession? And that really changed the narrative, I think, in primary education in the in the Netherlands, and I think um, in in in, in, the, in the United States they call it bargaining for the common good. You know, those kind yeah. of issues. Um, yeah. They, they resonate a lot, and I think. I, so where where teachers have turned the tide, it's they've 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 managed to tap into those kind of you know issues and and, and uh, um, it's not just doing it for yourself you know and I think we're in a huge challenges globally and education is is at the forefront of that and if we if we don't get education right we're not going to get the other other stuff right. What does it what when you say you know not doing it for for ourselves or for themselves in terms of on that that personal level. I mean, what do you mean by that? Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so, you know, my own pers- my own um, situation, I had a really good salary. I was in the in highest pay scale and highest pay grades. Um, you know, we had a sort of really sort of like flat organization, a lot of decision making by the, by, uh, you know, the, the subject uh, and, and the sort of the, the, the year level. So we have organized in, around subjects and, and sort of like years. And all those teams in my school had a lot of say on so we were the end we were like the professionals deciding on how we should teach and there was a lot of flexibility so 
you know, if they wanted to go away for two days on, on, a, on a conference, I, you know, I could easily discuss that with my colleagues and they would fill in for me and I would fill in for them. Um, so there was no, no individual uh, reason for me to go on strike or to go into all those things. But, you know, it's just just a kilometer away. Um, you know, the, these kids had no, no, no um, uh, qualified teachers. You know, my, 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 my colleagues there were overworked. They couldn't find uh, good colleagues anymore. Uh, you know, there was a huge turnover. And um, so so <laughs> who am I? What respo responsibility uh, did I take, you know, for, for that kind of situation? It was just around the corner. And there are so many of those schools around the schools that are at the, the school in, in my city uh, where, I, where I was teaching. Um, so for me, but there was no question in my mind of course I'm going on strike. You know, you, you're doing yeah. it for your profession. You do it for all those children that don't have a proper education. Um, and I think we've, we've lost so much by, by this individual individualization and education mm -hmm. is about so much more, I think. And I think that the, the, the best schools I've worked in, uh, there was, it's, it's based on trust, on collaboration. It's based on empathy. Um, uh, but it's not, and it's not about salary, but if those things are not in place, then you're not going to get good teachers. Um, you know, so it's those it's it's those those kind of conversations that you need to have with your colleagues. And you know, the school I worked in, we, there was no question. Most of my my colleagues, again, we had it really, we were in a really good situation. But most of my colleagues went on strike. And I think also because we were such a good school, I think, and and such a well functioning team, that also came from the values that we I think shared collectively. You know, that we that that, that whole. Uh, collective autonomy reflected itself also for us like that yeah the next step in in that taking that responsibility is also taking responsibility for your colleagues ne next door and for those children next door um if they don't if they're not in the right situation yeah absolutely uh, my last question was going to be about money i mean how do people pay for unions in holland i mean how much are unions in holland per month for you know if i'm a teacher in holland and i want to join a union how much is it uh, yeah, so it's uh, 20 euros per month, and uh, yeah. it's and about half, 50% is tax deductible, so you pay around 10 euros per month. Yeah, um, yeah. For, for so it's similar, similar here, to be fair, within the rates. Listen, Jan, it's been fascinating to talk to you about uh, what's going on in Holland, really, and getting a, getting a, a, a European perspective on it. I say European, I mean, we're Europeans, Jan, but you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, to get a content... I mean, for me, you're still part of... <laughs> Europe, I know. And I wish you're still I, in the European I, Union. I know. So, so do I secretly, although I won't say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, but um, uh, let's say from the continent, to get a continental perspective on 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 things is 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 really interesting. Um, and yeah, we'll have to see what happens. I mean, you're absolutely right in saying there are there are big challenges ahead, aren't there? With uh, kind of uh, student numbers, with workload, with um, keeping experienced teachers in the classroom. I mean, these are all the issues that we have in, in the UK, but I think that they're, they're probably Europe-wide. And, uh, you know, you think about the crisis we have at the moment, you know, and you think about the, I mean, that's just one small facet of the, the kind of numbers of teachers that we're going to need in, in well, across the world, really. Um, but when, you know, you think about immigration, you think about um the, the actual birth rates, just everything um, is going to cause um, 
a shortage. So we've got to find ways of recruiting more teachers. We've got to find a way of keeping more teachers. Uh, we, we have to value teachers and teaching as a profession. And I think your role over there, it sounds like it's um, it's part of that. So thanks ever so much for taking the time out uh, yeah, sure. this evening, because I know you're yeah. probably busy. So thank you very much indeed. And uh, I'll speak to you again, maybe. Um, yeah, and, really and, enjoyed it. Uh, you can listen back to this as a podcast. Uh, not you, obviously, you know, because you'll have already listened to yourself <laughs> now. You don't want to listen again. But if anybody else does, it will be available as a podcast. So speak to you again soon and uh, take care. Thanks for having me. That was uh, Jan Revers, all the way from Holland, talking to us about um, uh, teacher strikes in Holland and union activity. Uh, after the news, uh, I've got Damien McNulty who is an executive member of NASUWT in the Northwest. Not an interview to be missed because Damien is a such a fantastic uh, speaker and he'll be giving us the UK perspective on the things that are happening at the moment uh, in the United Kingdom, both uh, for teachers but also uh, from a union standpoint as well in terms of how the unions are are dealing with, with things. And, and also, we're, we're again, going to talk about teachers on strike in the UK, how teachers go on strike and, uh, you know, whether they're successful or not in their endeavours. Back in two ticks. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us... You'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future.
This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Wales, as a response to the cost of living crisis, fuel and energy prices soaring, and the imminent UK government tax rises, a £13 million package to help families pay for school uniforms and PE kits is to be announced. Families who are eligible for help through the PDG Access Grant will be provided with a one-off £100 top-up payment in 2022-23 to help with the costs of sending their children to school. The Pupil Development Grant is to be extended to learners in all school years who are eligible for free school meals. The PDG Access Grant is £125 per learner and rises to £200 for those learners entering Year 7. Education Minister Jeremy Miles said, In the midst of this Tory cost of living crisis, household budgets are under significant pressure and many parents will be worried about how they can afford the things their children need for school. Those families in in receipt of the PDG Access Grant will already be using the £200 to help pay for their children's school uniform. This extra payment will help cover the other costs, such as PE kits, school shoes and other equipment, helping household budgets to go a little bit further. I'm pleased we can provide a bit more help to families at this difficult time and remove some of the financial barriers to education. In anticipation of the arrival of 100,000 refugee children arriving in Britain from Ukraine, England's Education Secretary, Nadim Sahawi, has announced that the auto-translate software is being rolled out on online learning hub Oak National Academy to help pupils who speak Russian or Ukrainian. Speaking at the Association of School and College Leaders annual conference in Birmingham on Friday, Mr Sahawi said, We will continue to support Ukrainians in any way we can. I know schools are doing what they can to support and make sense of what they are seeing. And we are working with schools to ensure that the tens of thousands of Ukrainian children we will welcome to our shores will have a place in our education system. To support schools' efforts, I'm delighted to announce that Oak National Academy has today rolled out an auto-translate function across all 10,000 of its online lessons. This will allow Ukrainian children arriving in the UK to access education in their native language as they transition into life and safety in the UK. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to look at fake news and scammers. We all know what a scammer is, but do we really know what fake news is? The NSPCC website explains fake news in an easy to understand way if you want to look a little deeper. However, basically it's disinformation as opposed to misinformation. Misinformation shared without knowledge or intent to harm. Disinformation is shared intentionally. Fake news is nothing new, but for most it's seen as a propaganda or a political tools to influence opinion. However, it's becoming more popular with scammers. I decided to see what happens when you actually follow a fake news advert. I've noticed recently popular social media apps and search engine adverts encouraging investment in cryptocurrency. One ad caught my eye as I was looking at the news headlines on a popular browser. It read, Elon Musk invests 12 million in a new trading platform. I trusted the search engine, so I clicked on the link. Because let's face it, anything Elon invests in is worth looking at. I was taken to a website showing how the company Bitcoin Motion had created an investment robot that invests when Bitcoin climbs and sells when Bitcoin falls. Because Bitcoin is a massively volatile currency, you can earn a large profit in a very short time. It sounds almost too good to be true. On the site, there's a report where Elon himself tells a popular American news presenter to invest $250, and within eight minutes, she's made a profit of $100. Scrolling down, there were testimonials from Dragon's Den, Money Supermarket, and other well-known established names. Next, a button to fill in a simple web form to sign up. I spent some time researching Bitcoin Motion. It was clearly fake. All endorsers had published statements saying they were nothing to do with it. So, I signed up. Within 30 seconds, I had a phone call from another company called FinoFX. Strangely, though, there was a distinctive call transfer noise. A silence before the connection. Why, if they phoned me? Hello? Hello? Hi, today am I speaking to Mr. Steve? Steve what? That's me. Steve, you're speaking to... And I was called Mr. Steve. I should have hung up. Anyway, I was then time pressured so I didn't miss out to give the big long number across my credit card, which I didn't do. So I was sent a WhatsApp message with a secure payment link. Again, I was pushed to open it on my cell phone and pay. I made my excuses and ended the call. A further five messages and calls, some from London, some from Sheffield, came, never leaving a message. The WhatsApp saying, I see you've not made your transaction. I'm calling to assist you. The recording I have is my final call with the supposed investment company. On the 20th of March at 8pm on Tom Rogers' show, we're going to listen to this and discuss the topic. Why not join us? I'm going to leave you with a final thought. I was told to look at the website and see there was a padlock showing it was safe. The padlock and certificate is proof your connection is encrypted. It's not proof of how trustworthy the person on the other end is. Anyone can buy an SSL certificate. Please be careful. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods and that was two minute tech two minute tech with steve woods your tech briefing on teachers talk radio oh steve what an absolute legend he is um on monday uh he's going to be coming on to the late show so this same time next week with me to talk about scammers for 20 minutes it's going to be fun not fun in the sense of people getting scammed but i i i've heard more of steve's kind of recorded telephone call with this guy and honestly it's not to be missed so That'll be next Monday uh, for anybody who wants to tune in uh, to listen to that. What I've got, what I've got next up is uh, my interview with Damien McNulty, who's an executive member of NASUWT in the Northwest, uh, and I spoke to him about teachers on strike and uh, t- the the conditions uh, that teachers in the Northwest are going on strike about. So uh, let's have a listen to Damien now, and uh, when we come back. Uh, I'll kind of summarise what we've talked about in, in this evening's show. And if anyone has any any comments or anyone wants to call in at the end of this interview, then then feel free to do so. 
Right, I'm joined by Damian McNulty, who is a national executive member at NASUWT, and we are going to discuss teachers on strike. Now, Damian, to start with, why do teachers in school, what are the problems at the moment in schools? Why are teachers even considering going on strike? Well, <clears throat> there are huge and almost insurmountable workload issues in many, many, many schools, not in every school, but in many schools that are uh, passed down from, from senior leadership and middle leadership colleagues uh, who, uh, who, who feel they need information or, or, or work to be done in a particular way. Uh, in addition to the teachers who are fully focused on, uh, and rightly so, planning, preparing and assessing for the young people that they have timetable to teach. And, and really they're at exhaustion levels and, and, and some of the activities that they're asked to undertake, they, they rightly uh, see as having no, no tangible purpose, no tangible benefit. Or if there is a tangible benefit, that it's not a job for a qualified teacher to do and they should be allowed to focus on their core job of teaching and learning. Can you give me uh, an example of one of those tasks or, or some of those yeah. tasks? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, many secondary colleagues will be uh, will be heads of year, uh, in it, and in the the worst examples, we have schools who have uh, heads of uh, sorry um, form teachers who are required at the end of the school day to follow up any any issues that may have arisen with uh, any child in their form class, and that can start at the beginning of the day with uh, not having the correct footwear and not having uh, perhaps uh, the correct equipment for learning, not having their PE kit, whole range of relatively small, small items, but, but essential items uh, for, for learning in the classroom and important that uh, the children have, well, certainly the right tools to learn. I'm not really sure that the right footwear is going to be uh, an essential educational piece of equipment. Uh, <clears throat> but, but, but that then turns into a list of you need to contact these parents uh, either by sending a text message or an email or both or actually a phone call. Uh, many parents are alive to the fact that uh, the school number is calling at the end of the day and they dodge that. So the school put in additional uh, requirements to make contact with a second or third uh, contact person on the list. And that takes, you know, on the face of it, you might think, well, that's perfectly reasonable. That will only take a few minutes, but a few minutes times 10 or 15 pupils every day with no response that you then have to follow back up. It's a vicious circle. Now, now there may well be good reasons and, and not having the right equipment, for example, pen, pencil, ruler, uh, PE equipment, whatever. Uh, but is that the job of a qualified teacher to do? And that, I think that's the thing that really frustrates because those teachers are perhaps spending, well, you tell me they spend anywhere between half an hour and an hour most days, potentially uh, engaged in that type of activity which definitely doesn't require qts yeah so that's that would fall i guess under pastoral what, what about what about other issues i mean presumably you get complaints about marking still and assessment and yeah that. yeah absolutely tom I, I mean again some schools have well weird and wonderful uh marking systems and policies which which often at their most extreme are a one-size-fits-all marking policy which is not subject specific isn't age specific, whether that's in a primary school or a secondary school, 
and it requires a huge amount of teacher attention or teacher time to give children qualitative feedback even even just a few sentences uh in uh, in a book each, after each lesson now if you teach that lesson each day if you're a, a maths or an english teacher in a secondary school or a primary teacher that teaches maths or english then that becomes a major workload workload issue then again in, in the worst examples uh the children are required to give some written feedback and then the teacher needs to respond to that again so you're having a written dialogue at the end of almost every lesson you teach uh well for what purpose because uh, you know the children the majority of the children don't uh internalize that written feedback in a way that's going to move their learning on in a transformational manner yeah absolutely and then i'm guessing also you've got planning i mean there's been this huge push on curriculum and and kind of the, the particularly for middle leaders but actually i think it spreads down the chain to everybody have you seen any impact with the move to, with Ofsted towards this whole obsession with curriculum? Have you seen any workload implications on that end of things in terms of the way that's gone? Yeah, uh, absolutely, Tom. And, and that's in spite of the fact that Ofsted have given some very clear messages. We don't need to see an individual teacher's lesson plan. We don't need to see a scheme of work. We don't need to see the detail that sits behind that schools actually are requiring sorry many schools are requiring teachers to produce um what we see you know in in the worst examples in primary schools are where head teachers require staff to upload their planning every sunday for each lesson for the following week which is absolutely horrific it, it takes them all weekend to do that it's absolutely obscene in terms of the amount of work that that is required to be done uh, in secondary schools again the worst examples we see are focused on particular subject areas, perhaps uh, because of uh, comments or feedback at, at the most recent Ofsted report, or a perception that a particular subject isn't high enough up on either the local authority league tables or national league tables, and therefore the, the, the curriculum design and curriculum resources need to be reinvented uh, to, to, to uh, a, a, a horrific degree in terms of detail. And also that the curriculum leaders or class teachers are required to submit their resources and planning across a, and rightly so, listen, I mean, there's an element of we all need to differentiate the learning uh, for the children that we have in front of us, but to plan those resources out uh, to the level of detail many employers are requiring is, uh, is, is significant. And I think the pandemics had a really, had a really perversely uh it's ratcheted that up perversely because as teachers have experienced more absence not just to do with covid but actually mental health issues and other and other uh, seasonal uh, flu cold type issues there's an expectation now in many schools that if you're not there every single resource that you would have planned and used yourself uh will be there for someone else to just pick up and use uh and that expectation has uh, has definitely become higher during the pandemic what's been just briefly you obviously come into contact with a lot of, of of teachers in your role with nas what's been the impact then of all those things on teachers are they you know have you noticed I mean, I, I was speaking to a few actually yesterday and they were saying this is the worst it's ever been. Now, granted, that teacher was saying that he'd only been in for three years 
four years in the profession. So he was saying, well, I, I was saying, well, perhaps it was worse in, you know, I don't know, 2014, 2015, you know, because I, I said to him, well, the period 2010 to 2015, was that was that worse or was that as bad? But you just don't know it. Have people forgotten how bad it was? Or do you think that actually, I mean, first question A, what's the impact? And B, is it worse or is it just we're seeing it worse? Well, the impact is is absolutely horrific uh, in terms of the massive increase in uh, our, our colleagues, our teachers who are experiencing mental health issues. Uh, and, and when I say mental health issues, those present in a number of ways uh, in terms of lack of sleep, uh, perhaps uh, uh, not taking as much exercise as you might, uh, having uh, more alcohol than perhaps you would normally have just to get to sleep or and, and diet changes as well because you don't have as much time potentially to uh, to make it to make an ordinary meal but but also emotionally and 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 those other factors play into physical uh, physical manifestations over a period of time uh, it de it definitely is worse Tom uh, it's worse for a whole lot of reasons and and fundamentally it's worse for I think three, three or four key reasons, the first of which is school funding, which has been dramatically reduced over the last 12 years of, of Tory government. And, and that, that, that in turn, or consequentially, means that uh, the number of teachers, the number of support staff, the number of technicians, the number of pastoral staff that are able to be uh, employed, to be tasked to undertake work in schools has significantly diminished. So. The work I described a number uh, a few minutes ago about teachers having to chase chase absence or, or chase children who haven't got the right footwear or the right equipment for school that wouldn't have been an issue 10 years ago teachers wouldn't have been doing that five years ago probably in in the vast majority of schools uh, the task needs to be done no doubt but it's now become a task for teachers not 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 support staff and and things have got worse incrementally and and slowly you know slowly uh, so it's it's the analogy of the of the frog in the pan of water, uh, where where the where the heat is gradually turned up, and and I think any teacher who's been full time in the classroom for the last 10, 15 years, probably couldn't point to one or two, or three specific points in time where they would say these this event or these events mm -hmm. were step changes. It's incremental. And the other thing, Tom, and I chaired uh, I chaired on. Uh, on Wednesday night, uh, a webinar with the National Head of Education, Darren Northcott, for ECTs. And our colleagues who are coming into the profession now are working like no one has ever worked before as, uh, as new entrants to the profession. Uh, they and their mentors as well, and there will be many of those who, who listen to your show, are undertaking all of that work effectively. Sorry, the vast majority of our members are telling us uh, and, and the mentors as well. That work has been undertaken in their own time in the evenings. It was designed to be undertaken during the school day. So effectively, they're having, many colleagues tell us they're having a repeat of a lot of their teacher training experience uh, in their own time, almost like an open university course that's been bolted on to the end of their, their professional day. And many of them are absolutely adamant that they want out of teaching and that they're not going to stick with it. They're going to see through the qualification because they, they've, they've spent time, money Invested, yeah. uh, and, 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 uh, and, and human capital in, in gaining that qualification, but many just want, want to leave the profession and, uh, 
and not be constantly working. And I would, uh, apologies uh, if this seems like a monologue, Tom, and you did say to be brief, but I'm not having anyone saying, and this is all because of the pandemic, these, uh, these systemic issues were present before the pandemic. You know, teacher recruitment and retention is at crisis levels and has been for seven or eight years prior to the pandemic for all the reasons to do with workload. Our members tell us workload's the single biggest issue, not pay, workload. Yeah, uh, makes perfect sense. In, in terms of, because what I want to move on to now is, is this idea of, of teachers on strike. And um, the reason this came to my attention is, is a school that's currently on, on, or staff from a school that are currently on strike in a school near Newcastle. And I thought it would be interesting to talk to you. And obviously on the show, the, uh, I'm also going to be speaking to, to two other teachers about their views on, on teacher strikes. But I wonder, just from a logistical point of view, how do teachers organise a strike in a school? Uh, because many of the people on Twitter who replied to me said, how do you go on strike? None of them okay. knew. None of them knew what the mechanisms were or whether anything existed where that could happen okay <clears throat> well, well first of all uh, it's it's governed by uh, any industrial action and, and strike action is one element of that uh, and the most extreme end of of industrial action yeah uh, so it, it's all set out in a couple of pieces of legislation the most recent of which was introduced in 2016 uh, called the Trade Union Act, uh, which you will probably not be surprised to know as it was introduced by this government, make life uh, even more difficult for any trade union that wishes to take industrial action. came into effect on the 1st of March 2017. And what that says is, in any workplace, any member of a particular trade union, and if we use NSWT as an example, must meet two thresholds now. And uh, those thresholds are at least 50% of all members of that union must return their ballot paper. And uh, also of the totality of that membership, at least 40% must be in favor of taking industrial action. There are also uh, time requirements that are set out in law, which mean that uh, to start that process, uh, NASUWT or the trade union in question needs to notify the employer uh, of their intention to take industrial action, informing them of the totality of the number of their members and also what the nature of that industrial action or trade dispute will be. Uh, the, the, the school in question that you've mentioned, it's about adverse managerial practices and, and that's a phrase that, that covers a whole range of range of issues, uh, but certainly managerial practices that uh, that adversely affect members' work-life balance would be would be a key element, uh, and it, it you know it's a general uh, phrase that covers a, a whole range of items. So during that two-week period, the trade union will then contact its members and ensure that their uh, postal details are up to date, their contact details are up to date, because uh, the other thing that this government won't let any trade union do is conduct ballots electronically. Uh, because, of course, that would make it easier for people to engage and respond. Uh, so we have to engage in postal ballots. At the end of the two-week notice period to the employer, the ballot will open. Uh, we usually, uh, and in each union will have its own preference, but we usually allow the ballot to be open for two weeks to allow 
the poster arrive at the member's home address. And as teachers are extremely busy people for all the reasons we've discussed, yeah. to allow them to return their ballot, uh, to complete their ballot papers and return them. Once the ballots are returned, the trade union then needs to establish that the thresholds have been met that I've described. And then, and only then, if those two thresholds have been met, can we, could we then write to the employer and say, in two weeks' time, we will then engage in industrial action, whether that's strike action or uh, action short of strike action, where teachers uh, uh, continue to be in work but withdraw their consent to undertake a number, a range of activities which will be school specific. Mm. Typically, that could be attending morning briefings, attending meetings after school, supervising children at playtime, a whole range. And it's a shopping list that can be can be designed in conjunction with the school staff. So that's kind of that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, what if there are limited members in unions in the school? I'm guessing that that kind of hands are tied a little bit there. If 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 people are, if you're a member of the union in your school. But there's not enough of you to 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 do anything. Well, I mean, the, the, the percentage thresholds remain the same, Tom. So in a one for right. primary school with uh, with you know perhaps seven teachers, two or three of which are NSUWT members. In yeah. this example, if uh, if two of those three NSUWT members return the ballot papers, then we would meet the thresholds, and those all three of those members would be able to undertake action. So. Uh, oh, yeah. I think the point you're perhaps getting to is what happens if there are uh, either colleagues, teachers who aren't in a trade union, which sadly is becoming more common, or perhaps there's a mixed economy of a range of trade unions where there's some of the members are members of NASUWT, some are members of NEU, some are members perhaps of NEHT or ASCO. Uh, then you know, working together with the other trade unions is important because it's highly likely, certainly for the traditional classroom teacher-based unions, which are NSUWT and NEU, although we have many leadership members and we value their membership. Um, the issues that affect NSUWT members are likely to be affecting NEU members also, uh, and vice versa, of course. Yeah, vice versa. so you could join forces with... Yes, but each union will have its own processes and procedures yeah. notwithstanding what i've explained that's set out in legislation yeah the process for getting to the point where a trade union will trigger that process there will be set out in each union's own rules what what are the can you give us examples of singular school strikes that have had a positive impact for staff or achieved yes. goals for staff Yes, yes, I can, Tom. And, and what I'd like to do, first of all, is, is, is to be absolutely clear about industrial action, action shortage, strike action and strike action. They aren't, they, aren't the, they aren't the means to the end. They are a means to getting an employer to get into a room and to take seriously the issues that the members are raising. So in many, in many cases, 90, 95% of cases where our members bring serious and significant issues to us, we are able to engage with sensible employers, whether that's head teachers or senior leadership teams and or representatives from the governing body or perhaps multi-academy trust that that's applicable. And we can have serious and sensible discussions about what the issues are. And we never have to move to the point where 
members are so frustrated that there's no change and no tangible benefit as a result of that engagement that we then move to a trade dispute. So if we get to the point where we have a trade, sorry, yeah, to answer your question uh, about the, the tangible benefits, often when we move to, and uh, I'm working with one, uh, one secondary school uh, that you certainly know, uh, know very well personally, uh, where we where we moved to a ballot process and the members received the ballot papers. Now, during that period of time, that two week notice period, the two weeks the members of the ballot papers, uh, in that particular school, the employer uh, absolutely woke up to the fact that uh, this is serious now. This has moved into a different arena, which which has serious repercussions for the employer if it becomes known in the wider school community reputationally so they genuinely uh, uh affected change through dialogue with myself and whenever the ballot result came in we've got the ballot result and we haven't had to get to the point where we've um uh, declared any action because the employer is making sensible choices so it's a continuum and those levers are there and those levers are actually only there for six months under law you have to go back out to reballot uh if uh, if after the six month period the ballot expires so uh other other tangible changes and to be honest tom we never get a hundred percent of what we all you know what we set out to achieve yeah yeah many of our members think we can have regime change <laughs> yeah. and in some you know in some schools uh members will tell us rightly so uh that that, that all of the issues stem from the most senior member of staff uh the head teacher or principal and, and, and trade disputes and industrial action and our engagement is never about regime change. It can't be. It's not appropriate to call for someone to lose their job. I mean, that's just not, not appropriate. It's about, it's about affecting those changes. Sorry, Tom. Yeah, no, I was going to say that, I mean, I was going to ask you about the risks for individual staff who go on strike. Um, yeah. And I was going to ask the question, is it, or, or to at least, you know, threaten to go on strike, let's say, yeah. or, or go on strike. And kind of, is it worth it? Because on Twitter, there's been people saying, well, you know, I, I went on strike or I threatened to go on strike. And then I was, you know, earmarked for, uh, you know, for, for uh, bad treatment down the line. And, and I suffered as a result of that decision. I mean, do they, okay. have to, you know, and they were saying that, you know, is, is there any protection for, for people who, who, who go down this road? Or is that just a risk they have to take? Well, the protection is standing together as fellow trade union members. And if it's one union taking action, it's about all those members being united. Because it's all too easy for an employer to pick off an individual. And, and you know, in real life, if we introduce something like action short of strike action and say, uh, we're not, none of our members are attending uh, parents' evenings or after school events. And then Fast forward, you know, two, three weeks, that action's in place legally. Uh, and some of our members attend that. Then that very clearly undermines, yeah. undermines the action and sets some people, mm. a smaller group of people in a position where they are more open to the, the abuses of any employer, whether it's in a school or not. An employer has levers that they can apply to to their employees, but if if staff stand together and are united, then it becomes uh, almost impenetrable for an employer. And 
an often, Tom, from, from an NASUWT point of view, for sure, we will often start with action short of strike action and use yeah. the strike action lever, which disrupts children's education. No teacher wants to take strike action and disrupt any child's education. Teachers are naturally conservative with a small C, and I don't mean politically, but but I mean in the in the strictest sense of the dictionary yeah. definition. Yeah. Um, and we would only ever get to the point where we take strike action if a school attacks one or more of our members because of their engagement in action short of strike action. So that's an escalation for us to protect our members. Um, but it is about members staying united throughout the whole trade dispute. And that's a large part of the message that we deliver as executive members. And that's our key function and role because we, we are the people that liaise with our national action committee about the initial concerns uh, and strength of feeling with our membership in a school uh, before we would move as a national union to ballot our members. So it's a series of meetings, uh, intense dialogue with the school workplace rep where we have them and members to really understand what the issues are and to, to assess really the strength of that feeling and how far they would be prepared to go. Because if, you know, at one end, uh, it's a case of, sometimes it's a case of getting into a school, uh, attending a members meeting and hearing members talk about many of the issues that we've discussed tonight. And then whenever I ask what they want to do about that, the silence. Well, and I explain what I've just explained to you and your listeners about the continuum of industrial action. Uh, you know, the first step would be I'd like to write to your head teacher and chair of governors and request a meeting to discuss the issues before we move to any formal action, because at the very least, the employer and, and the leader of the school require or, or should be given the, the, the opportunity to explain and to answer the points that are put to them. But often it's, oh, no, we don't need to raise those issues. And you think, then, well, well, what's the point? And uh, what's Is the point right? for the members? Well. The, the, the other element of this, Tom, I would say, and this goes back to the workload issues, often, and again, before pandemic, but also since, often me attending that workplace meeting is the first time the staff have actually come together for many years as a group of staff without a senior leadership team member at the front doing a PowerPoint for inset or staff meeting. And it can often be really transformational because staff will say, oh, I didn't realize that was happening over there in your area of school or your department if it's a secondary school. And because they're far too busy to talk about what the issues are, it often galvanizes a sense of togetherness that has been missing for a number of years. And they realize that actually they've got a, they've got a momentum as, as a group of staff where they might be able to, in the first instance, if they don't have a rep, elect a rep and an assistant rep. And mm. actually, as staff members, they feel empowered to go and talk to their senior leadership team about the issues before I or a local secretary would become involved. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, there are many examples where that happens. Uh, and there are far more examples of that happening than there are of strike action happening. That's the extreme end, as I've said. Yeah. What, what would you say to people who say they would never, ever go on strike because of the impact on the children? Um, uh, because okay. some people said that 
in the replies on on Twitter. And I, I, I said to them, you know, is there a danger that actually if we don't have teachers in front of the, the students, then there is no education anyway. But they were saying, you know, we're not doing that, particularly post-COVID. Hmm. They were saying okay. they would never do it. But does that then undermine other people who, who would be willing to do it? Well, listen, I completely understand that position. And, in a, you know, taking strike action, and taking strike action does disrupt children's education. But we've got to go back to what is the purpose of taking the strike action. And I've said that's the most extreme end of the, yeah. the industrial action that you could take. And it's only to get into the only purpose of taking the strike action is to get the employer to the table to talk. Well, it's a little turkey. bit like, I, I don't want to, oh, I won't use that analogy actually about um, weapons of mass destruction, but no. a little, it's a little bit like having a deterrent, which is yeah. kind of, yeah. uh, uh, you know, to say we are willing to use this deterrent. We don't want to have to do it. Yeah. That's your choice employer. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and Tom, those colleagues, uh, and again, I understand and respect their, their, yeah. their their position as individual teachers uh, to to you know to take a position where they say I would never take strike action. But let's be clear here: if you were a teacher working in a school where you can see colleagues uh, being ground down, whose health is being affected, whose family life is being affected, whose professional life is is. Uh, is on a downward spiral in terms of their ability to do the best job they can for the young people, then it, it's that that motivates many of our colleagues in those situations. If that's happened to them personally or to other colleagues around them, to stand up and say, enough is enough, because you know what? The children in this school deserve a teacher who has a life outside the job, who has the ability to function in a way that most other adults in the workplace are able to function who don't work in education or are teachers. And by, by doing that, it means that a more well-rounded, rested teacher has the, will have a transformational impact on their ability to provide quality teaching and learning in a way that a teacher who is dragging themselves into work for seven or eight in the morning, working all day with the children, trying to do their best job, meeting all sorts of unrealistic and, uh, to, to be frank, unnecessary workload demands for others in school, that works until four or five in the evening, does a couple of parents' evenings and inset training during that term, then goes home and does marketing and planning until eight, nine or 10 o'clock at night, puts their life on hold until half term. Are you really telling me that that's 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 something that currently many teachers can do until they reach their normal retirement age for many, which is currently 68? And then then once you've reflected on that, tell me I'll never take a day strike action because it's only colleagues that are in those extremist most extreme circumstances where we can't affect change through reasonable professional dialogue that end up taking strike action. Yeah, and it's sad, isn't it, that we end up even having to have these discussions uh, yeah. around that. I mean, interestingly, do you think that, and we're coming towards the end now, but do you think that 
um who is who is more responsible for this for the you know we talked at the beginning of this about all these different problems right and the fact that we still have this retention crisis we it sounds to me from what you're saying that there's a lot of problems still there and a lot of problems still to come so who is at fault here is this do is this about leadership is it about ofsted is it about government is it about um you know a lack of of training for leaders is it about how what what, what is who is at fault here for all this what well, is well well let's be clear tom before i come on to answer that there are good examples of good schools and i don't mean good in the yeah. offset definition of a good school where staff feel valued where uh, the children as a consequence are getting a broad and balanced curriculum are really happy yeah. where there isn't major workload issues so i think what we need to look at is how can some schools do uh, many of the things that from a trade union point of view would be big ticks in the box yeah uh, and we would say that should be the norm and why is that not possible elsewhere and i think that's not possible elsewhere because there is i think a particular vision and view which permeates about this is what running a school looks like which comes down to a pretty narrow uh, national training program for head teachers and a constant a fairly constant diet of working with people who think in a similar way and if you continue to meet with and meet with people that have similar views and ways of working as yourself or or have been former successful head teachers or mat ceos or former ofsted inspectors who who then say uh well as a consultant if you buy my services and you do it this way you're on the road to success because it was a formula that worked for me and 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 you know on the face of it that makes sense and people will often buy into that school government body school leaders and you get into that kind of collective mindset then of this is the way it needs to be done and you're on a you're on a particular you're on a particular path whereas the most visionary enlightened best schools good schools don't think in in a lateral way they think in in many creative and different ways i mean there are a number of schools for example that have a no marking policy now that doesn't mean that the teachers sit with their feet up and uh, and, and do the crossword during lessons uh, what it does mean is that they have a focus on giving children quality oral feedback and engaging yeah. with uh, you know transformational aspects of learning it means that they look at high school resources that are finite and are getting smaller and smaller in financial terms, how those can be best used. And is it the best use of teacher time to be making those phone calls home, writing those emails to parents? And it, so it, 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 and it's been having the space to do that as well. And the most precious resource anyone has in the school is their time. And that's a finite resource. Uh, anyway, sorry. No, that's superb. I mean, yeah, yeah absolutely spot on um and uh, yeah like i said it, it's sad that that we have to have these kind of discussions that we can't you know <coughs> uh, that we can't have more schools but you're absolutely right in saying because i've worked in them that there are good yeah schools where workload is more manageable 
um, and more and behavior is good and, uh, and and decisions are made regularly that take those things into account. Tom, those schools, there's a common thread in those schools because I'm working one myself. And that is from a from an adult point of view and I, and I say that very specifically i don't mean from a teacher point of view i mean yeah. from an adult point of view there's mutual respect for all of the work that goes on in a school from the, the site manager to the cleaners to the cooks to the office staff to the support staff to the teachers to the senior leadership team and everyone's voice is respected so so there's a respect there and things aren't just imposed from on high mm. Sometimes there need to be, you know, critical decisions made on a short-term basis. Pandemic would be a really good example of that. And because there's mutual professional respect, there's there's a sense of team that means, you know what, we probably would crawl over broken glass for each other, but not every single time. And if there's some madness comes down the line, we would go the extra mile, but going the extra mile doesn't mean doing 18 or 20 hour a day, seven days a week. Uh, and, and there's a sense of, you know, that professional respect for each other means you see people who might be struggling or having a difficult time and you say, oh, are you OK? Uh, is there anything that can be done? Have you raised this or, you know, if it needs to be discussed with someone in your line management chain or others aware of it? And you will have that kind of conversation with each other. You'll make time for each other. And I don't just mean professional time. I mean, personal time. I mean, have you seen the, the latest cinema release of whatever or uh, you know, spending time together that's not just staff meeting time, spending time having lunch with, you know, a small group of people and talking about your kids or the weather or what your plans are for the summer. There's far too little of that happens in schools these days, far too little of that. And then from that, Tom, it, if you have that community culture within the adults of a school, then that can't not permeate into classrooms. It can't not permeate into the corridors and into the spaces where the young people work. Because if adults have respect for each other in a way that, you know, if you came into my school, I would say, other than if someone was working in an office that says head teacher on it, you'd be hard pushed to find, you'd, you'd be hard pushed to work out who's the head, who's the deputy, who are the assistant heads. Uh, because we all dress the same, we all speak the same to the children and, the, and yeah. any members of staff. There's no, there's no obvious hierarchy. There is a hierarchy, of course. Uh, but the children then find that the atmosphere in school is more genuine, more relaxed. Uh, doesn't mean that children aren't held accountable for their actions. Of course they are. But, you know, we know that we're all capable of making wrong choices and wrong decisions occasionally. None of us get it right all the time. Uh, and, and it's about seeing things through that kind of lens. And, you know, that's a... Uh, that's about the culture and the ethos of a school and, and tom i know you you've worked in many schools and you find yourself in many schools you don't have to walk very far into a school to to pick up the vibe you know what i mean i can see you know uh, i do uh, i do yeah absolutely I do. And, I do. And, and and that comes from i think fundamentally understanding human relationships and it's still more complicated than that and being mutu you know mutually respectful that's yeah. it yeah Damien. That's the magic. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Damien, fantastic. Thanks very much. Right. That was an interview with Damien McNulty from NASUWT. I hope you've enjoyed the show today. Slightly extended uh, from normal. We're now on 
an hour and 40 minutes. But thanks ever so much to, to everyone who has tuned in at some point during the show. Um, I know there's been plenty of people kind of dropping in and out. Um, and if you're listening back to this as a podcast, thanks for thanks for doing that. And uh, yeah, make sure you subscribe to Teachers Talk Radio on Podbean, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, so you can keep track of every new episode. Uh, plenty of shows coming up this week, so check out the website, ttradio.org, see what's coming up, and uh, make sure you catch us again. And uh, yeah, see you soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.